readings from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. If you're using a church Bible, it's on page 977. <coughs> for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of, his, of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to, the whole, to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan and of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realised in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come once more to your house to worship you, to listen to your word, and to cry out to you in prayer. We ask, Lord, that you will be with David as he preaches your word. We thank you for his diligence and his patience over the last week in preparing this message for us. We pray, Lord, that you will use him greatly, speak through him, through your Holy Spirit, Lord, and to bless us with your word. We thank you, Lord, that we are part of your family. We are heirs of your children, and we, Lord, just cannot sometimes accept this. We cannot understand just how grace has brought us into your family as heirs to your heavenly kingdom. We pray, Lord, you'll be with Sunday school children this morning. We thank you for each and every one of them. We praise you for them, and we ask, Lord, that through them they will hear your word spoken at their level in Sunday school, preparing their hearts, Lord, to come to you as children of yours. Lord, we pray that you'll be with us as we sit and listen to your word, and help us, Lord, to understand it. Give us understanding, give us clearance of mind, and pray, Lord, that you'll be with us and encourage us through it. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, last week we were looking at verses 1 to 6 and how Paul described himself as a prisoner for Jesus Christ and for the benefit of others. We also looked at where he got his material from, this mystery of Christ, as he called it, that had now been revealed by the Holy Spirit to Christ's holy apostles and prophets. And then we looked at what the mystery was that had been revealed to him. And you see it summarized there in verse 6. This mystery is that 
The Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And throughout that message, but particularly so at the beginning and at the end, but I, I stressed how local church ministry, therefore, in the light of all of that, local church ministry is therefore the most exciting thing happening in the world today. As God works out the fulfillment of his plan of salvation, even through church ministry like ours here at Welbeck Road Church. So I encouraged you to get involved as much as possible in this local church, uh, to, to become a member if you're not one already, and to volunteer to help in the various ministries and the, the various areas of service that we have here as a local church. This week we're beginning to look at Paul's ministry and his delight in local church ministry. Specifically in his delight in preaching, this is what God had called him to do, preaching the unsearchable riches of the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all then, let's look at how he became what he became. When we think of Paul being called to be an apostle, we probably all think of Acts chapter 9 and that wonderful dramatic event that Luke records there in the Acts of the Apostles. Paul is on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians and lock them up, maybe put some of them to death. It's the Damascus, sorry, the Damascus, Damascus road experience and uh, God Christ meets with Paul in that particular way, that dramatic way and commissions Paul uh, to serve him. But what Paul gives us here in Ephesians 3 is, is something of the spiritual aspect of his calling. I think Paul gives his testimony three times in the Acts of the Apostles. I think off the top of my head. When he gives us a, a testimony, for example, in Jerusalem in Acts 22, uh, he's talking to an, uh, to an angry crowd, uh, and he tells them the actual words of his commissioning. Verse 14 of Acts 22, and Ananias, that was the man that Christ sent to baptize uh, uh, Paul, or Saul, as he was called then, Ananias said, the God of our fathers appointed you, Paul, to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. As it were, that was the job description that uh, Christ gave Paul. What we read here, though, is the spiritual aspect of that job description. The unseen will of God applied here to Paul. What do I mean by that? Well, look at what the verse says. First of all, he says, of this gospel, I was made a minister. There's that advert on the TV about the Royal Navy. I was born in Blythe, but I was made in the Navy. Have you seen that? Something was done to him to make him this sorted out person in the Royal Navy. Paul had been made a minister. He's been telling us about this gospel of the Lord Jesus, this truth 
that has been revealed to him by revelation of the Holy Spirit. This is the good news that not only Jews, but whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whosoever comes to God through faith in Jesus Christ, they will find full acceptance by God. They'll have absolute equality across the board, whether you're a Jew or you're a Gentile, whether you come from Israel or you come from Biker, it doesn't matter. But whosoever comes to faith in Jesus Christ, we share this, this common privilege. These blessings are equal to every one of us. Of that good news, Paul had been made a minister. What does he mean by a minister? I wonder if you think of me as the minister here. If you do, you're wrong. The Greek behind the word minister here in the ESV is diakonos, servant. NIV has it as servant, the English, uh, the ESV, the New King James, as, as minister. So yes, Paul, was known as the apostle of Christ, an apostle of Christ, even a slave of Christ. Here he's a minister or a servant of the gospel. Now that's important, of the gospel. In other words, his whole life had become one of service to the gospel of Jesus Christ. God had made him that. Now, why is that important? Well, because it stresses to us that this was not Paul's own idea. If you think of all he had been through, try and imagine that experience on the Damascus Road. It must have been incredible for him to have seen that. I mean, it was midday. It was, you know, when the sun was the brightest, the highest in the sky, and yet he sees a light that is even brighter than the sun, blinds him, and he hears a voice. It's the Lord. That must have left a serious impression upon him, and you, you pick that up as you read his testimonies. But, you know, just having an extraordinary experience was not the grounds for Paul to presume or to assign himself as a minister of the gospel. Rather, God had made him so. God had commissioned him so. God had called him to faith in Jesus Christ and now called him to serve that gospel through which he had come to faith in Jesus Christ. How that happened, we'll see that in a minute. But this is important. We note how Paul didn't automatically start Saul of Tarsus Ministries when he was born again, just because he found this spiritual revelation so exciting. I remember speaking to somebody by the coffee hatch a few years ago. He wasn't long a Christian. Uh, his attendance wasn't great. But he told me he was thinking of starting, let's call him Jim Smith, Jim Smith Ministries. And I had to have a word with him. Because he thought he was born again, he thought he was a Christian. And because he'd had this experience, this is what I want to do now. 
and that's not the way we operate. The person of the gospel Paul served, the Lord Jesus, the head of the church, had also saved Paul and showed Paul how he would now serve him. You see, when we think of getting involved in local church ministry, every one of us has been called to serve in some sort of way this gospel of Jesus Christ. All of us, every one of us who is a believer here this morning, we are diakonos, we're deacons, we are servants of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, how we do that is where we, this is where we work this out now. What has God made me as a servant? How does he want me to serve him here in that particular way? We're going to come back to that in a minute. But we look to him. This is his salvation. This is his work. This is his church. This is his gospel. Now, what does he want me to do with it? How has he gifted me to serve the gospel of Jesus Christ? We talk about being a, a tool or, or an instrument in our master's hand. Well, it's up to him, isn't it? How he wants us to be. How arrogant of us to say, I want to be a hammer. I want to be a screwdriver. I want to be a whatever. No, we, we look to him, Lord, what do you want me to be? You who have saved me, you who have called me into this, this living relationship, this privileged thing that you have called this household of God, this living temple of God. Now, what can I do, Lord? Show me what can I do. And he will, if you really want to know. Secondly, we see another aspect of his calling in how God made him a minister or a servant of the gospel, of this gospel. I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me. The first gift of grace that Paul had received was the gift of Jesus, the gift of salvation. Uh, Christ had saved him from his sin. This is the good news that Christ came into our world and took upon himself the penalty for our sin. And he went to that cross and died in our place to bear the penalty of death for our sin. This is the good news, and through hearing that message and through believing that message, Christ had saved Paul. So, even though Paul had once been a persecutor of the church, God still graciously saved him. God made him a, a new person. He, he made him a, a new creature, as Paul describes himself, with a new nature, with new desires, a new personality. That's what you expect, you see, when someone says, I'm a Christian. They don't carry on as they were before, but you begin to see more and more change in them. And that's certainly what had happened to Paul. This is what every Christian shares with Paul. Remember how he writes to all the believers back in chapter 2, verse 8, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, 
so that no one may boast. If you're a Christian here this morning, you share this gift with Paul. Paul and all the apostles, you share this gift of grace, this gift of saving grace that has come to all who believe. But the second gift of God's grace that Paul had received was him being made this minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. By God's grace towards Paul, God had gifted Paul to be a servant of the gospel. Now, again, this is what God has done to every believer. What he did with Paul, we share this second gift of grace with Paul, that for the sake of one another, for the service of one another, for the building up of one another. But, but God, by his grace, has made every believer a minister, a servant of sorts. Paul was gifted by God. He was made a servant of the gospel. And others there in the church at Ephesus, they were gifted in other ways to serve this gospel. He says in chapter 4, verse 7, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So I'm stressing this point. I'm repeating myself, I know, but I, I want to drive this home this morning based on last week's message we're building here. How every member of every congregation, every believer here has a service. We have a ministry that God has made us for, for the sake of others. And you see lists of particular service in the scriptures, for example, in Romans 12 or in 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 4 says this, there are varieties of gift gifts, sorry, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then Paul lists just some of the gifts that have been given to the church. And I would say that those lists, if you read them in your own time, they are not at all exhaustive, but they do illustrate what Paul means there by varieties. There is a wide varieties of ministry, of service, of activities that God gifts his people for in a local church. And in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul tells us how those gifts are allocated all these, he writes, are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So it's the Holy Spirit who, who distributes these gifts, these callings to service amongst us. And he does so according to his will. You see, it's not what I want, it's what he wants of us. And each believer is gifted for that service in the church. So again, I'm stressing this. If you're a Christian, Christ has gifted you 
for service. He's equipped you for some ministry here. He's equipped you for some level of service here. And he'll enable you by his power, as he did with Paul, to serve others in that gifted way. And I want you to find that, discover it, and work it out. I would love to see every professing believer here realize their service, their gifting, what God has made them. I'd love you to recognize your ministry and to help you fulfill your area of service, your ministry here at Welbeck Road Church. I'll admit, this is the pipe dream of every pastor, that every single person in their congregation would be actively involved in their local church. I dream about that all night. I don't really. But you know what I mean. To see every member joyfully serving one another and using the gifts that God has given them. Not just some of the congregation as sadly it often is in a local church, but every professing believer, every member of the local church doing as much as they're able to as God has made them for joyfully serving, gladly getting involved in the work. You know, sometimes in Scripture, you know, we're called to consider the lily or consider uh, the sparrow or whatever. I would say consider the beehive and how every single bee in a beehive has a purpose, has a function, has a role to play for the well-being, for the survival even of the hive itself. And I would leave that idea with you this morning. Every one of us here has been called to function, to serve in a way for the common good of the whole. Just imagine how effective, how wonderful we would be as a fellowship if every one of us considered the bee. Paul realized that and was recognized for that and sought to fulfill his ministry, even though he viewed himself with such deep humility there in verse 8. Traditionally, Paul was known as a small man. His name in Latin, Paulus, which it means little, it means small, even though this little man viewed himself as the very least of all the saints. The, the Greek actually means less than the least. He had such a low view of himself that that didn't allow, that didn't stop him, that didn't hinder him. I mean, many of us might say, oh, I could never do that. Oh, I'm not good enough or I'm not skilled enough. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not able to do that. And Friends, if God has called you, if God has made you to be something, you will be it. You will be it. And yes, you can be encouraged, you can be trained. That's why I go off in conferences to be trained still, you know. But if God has called you to a role, he will enable you in that role to fulfill that role for the benefit of everyone else. Well, that's the first outworking of Paul's gifting that we're looking at 
this morning. He was called to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says in verse 8, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul's recognized gifting was to preach to the Gentiles. The word preach there is the word from where we get the word evangelical. It means to bring good news. It means to announce, to proclaim glad tidings. That's what the angels did to the shepherds on the hills of Bethlehem. They were evangelical, those angels. Well, God had gifted Paul and empowered him by the Holy Spirit to be evangelical in his gospel ministry. And yes, especially to the Gentiles, not exclusively to the Gentiles. If you have read the Acts of the Apostles, you'll notice how Paul usually went into the synagogue in each of the city he visited and first of all preached to the Jews. But his calling, his gifting was particularly for non-Jews, for the likes of us, us Gentiles. Now, what are the unsearchable riches of Christ? That's what Paul felt drawn to, to, to preach this, to evangelize this, this unsearchable riches. What are they? Well, we think of that word unsearchable. It sounds as though you can't find it. You know, my keys are unsearchable. Where are they? Well, I don't know because they're unsearchable. That word would suggest that. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean unknowable. If Paul didn't know what the riches of Christ were, what would he have to preach about since he didn't know whatever those riches were? They're not unknowable, to give you a double negative. They're not unsearchable. There's a strong connection here between the riches of Christ and the gospel of Christ. The, the riches being those various aspects of God's grace to believers in Jesus. And really what they are, are what Paul has already given us in chapters 1 and 2. We spent a while going through them. We took our time just to take the occasion to unpack some of those tremendous words we often refer to. Uh, we, we looked, for example, at the resurrection from death. Every believer has that hope now through faith in Jesus. We looked at our enthronement in Christ in the heavenly places, our reconciliation with God through faith in Jesus Christ our reconciliation to one another as believers and our inclusion into this new community of God's people. The riches include all of that. The riches include our access to the Father, our citizenship of God's kingdom. The riches of Jesus Christ include our membership of the family of God, our place in his temple. These are all the riches of Christ. Ken Hughes describes them as saving riches, sanctifying riches, relational riches, practical riches, and eternal riches. The point is that all of these 
our true wealth. This is, you see, is one of the incentives for us to serve in a local church because of the value or the worth of what it is we serve to one another. You think of that verse in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. He says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. We have a wealth to share and minister to one another. This is the connection, friends, between what we have through the grace of God and what we are. We are all rich because of God's grace towards us in Jesus Christ. We have a great worth. We're so blessed. We're lavishly blessed through our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet we can take these things for granted. I, I'll be honest with you, that's why we took so long. That's why we're taking so long to go through this letter of Ephesians because I want to really pull them apart. I want us to see these riches and hopefully see the worth of it. And as we study them, take the time to look at them, then we appreciate the value of this thing we're, we're talking about. Because we become so used to it. We become so used to something that once was very valuable, once was precious to us, but now over time we have looked at it so much now. I remember buying Sandra's engagement ring. And uh, to me, it was so expensive I couldn't even afford it myself. I had to ask Sandra to buy it. And I used to just sit and look at this little ring that had cost so much. And I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe that this little thing could be worth so much. Could contain in it so much value. I don't do that anymore. Time has passed. I've become used to it. I, forgot, I don't even know how much it cost her. I've forgotten. We are prone to becoming so used to things that we have that we forget the worth of what God has blessed us with. And yet when we come back to Scripture, when we remind ourselves, we revise our memory, and we look at how God has blessed us in Christ, we see how, as Scripture describes it, these riches are unsearchable. That word literally means not to be tracked out. You can't measure them. You think of how Paul ends Romans 11, how he concludes that long presentation of his, of God's salvation, and he writes in verse 33, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways, how unsearchable these things are that we handle. It makes us think of the vastness of the universe. People are talking about building a station of sorts on the moon so that they can hopefully 
get closer to Mars one day. It's so far away, and yet that's nothing compared to the enormity, to the unsearchability of the entirety of space. Think of the vastness of our oceans, the, the depth of the waters that cover our planet, and how little of them we really understand. These, these thoughts give us a sense of how unsearchable the, the riches of Christ are. Those things, like the universe, the, the oceans, there is a beginning, there is an end to them somewhere, but, but the riches we find in Christ, these words that I ring off, regeneration and justification and reconciliation and glorification, even saved. We write them in our systematic theologies to try and define and explain them. But actually, they are unfathomable. They're not unknowable, but they are impossible to fully know. And Paul, God had brought him to see that he'd been gifted to, to preach these riches, to dive deep into the greatness of God's grace, like a, a deep sea diver who goes down and, and brings up a, a, a pearl. Paul had been called to do that again and again and again, not looking for new gimmicks every week, you know. You know, you get those crazy people who you, I've never, I've never, I mean, I've never heard that before from the front. We're not calling them, we're not talking about that. But just someone who spends time with the Lord and spends time with his word and is able to bring up something, some new angle, as it were, that reminds us of how glorious our Savior is and how much he has blessed us how much he has given us for we to, to sit here this morning and call ourselves his family. How wonderfully exhausting that must have been for Paul to be involved in that particular way in being a servant of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, the worth of Jesus surpasses all things. The measure of God's grace towards us, which we find in Jesus Christ, is unsearchable. It's inexhaustible. And therefore, how blessed we are then to spend all our lives with this one book. This one book. We never go looking for other books. Other books may help us, for sure. We have a library in the corner. I encourage you to read from it. And here, these books help us, but this is the book. We spend our lives reading this and learning it and chewing it over and, and, and preaching it and meditating upon it. And, uh, and then we share it with others as servants of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How we serve it, well, that's how God has called you, and you'll figure that out and come and see me at the end if you want some advice on that. But, but maybe he has called you to serve this gospel practically, 
in doing certain things for the gospel, or, or maybe you have been called to a, to a speaking ministry of sorts, a, a speaking service of sorts, whether from the front or at home in prayer or helping out in youth ministries. I, I don't know. I don't know. But think about it, friends. Get involved in this exciting thing that's happening in your local church. Become a member if you haven't already. Volunteer for service as God has called you to. But friends, this is where it's happening. Local church ministry is where God is fulfilling his plans to save his people. Yes, it's great. It's that great. It's worth an applause. And then at the very end, he comes again. So friends, get involved. I encourage you, simply, get involved. For this is where God is at work. Amen.